everyone, this is Regina. So glad you could join us today. We want you to know that we record live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let's get into our discussion today. Well, welcome uh, this afternoon. Um, those of you that have uh, chimed in and accepted the invitation um, to our clubhouse. Uh, you know, I'm getting familiar with this now. I'm, I'm kind of liking this platform, but uh, I'm Lonnie Poindexter, and uh, Ms. Regina has let me take the helm at Command Central. So uh, uh, I might need a little help in getting through some of these uh, fine futures within this application, but uh, we're going to make it do what it do, as Ray Charles would say. Uh, so let's start off with a, a, pr a prayer this morning to get things going. And uh, I'm going to pass the mic to, uh, uh, let's pass the mic to Neil. And Neil, can you open us up with prayer before we start? Yes, indeed. Sorry. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we uh, praise you and thank you for everything you've given us, the blessings you've given us to be living this great nation. We pray now that you will... Uh, Give us the wisdom as we strive to to grow it and keep it a great nation, Lord, and return it to uh, its adherence to your will and your moral law. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Okay, um, let's, let's get started. And um, I'm going to, as uh, Regina would do, um, open with, uh, we're in chapter four, by the way, and uh, and we're at um, where it says eugenics and its impact on societies. So I'm going to read some of the uh, the content uh, that's in the book. And let me remind everyone that's listening in, if you haven't gotten the book, please do. Um, it will, uh, as folks would say, it'll change your life. Well, certainly it will give you the primer that you need to fight the good fight of faith as it relates to uh, getting the truth out about the history of uh, white supremacy and uh, racism in America and on the global scene and who the real culprits are and the wonderful work that Kevin has done, exhaustive work he has done at preparing uh, detailed information and uh, notes and footnotes and things that you can use to help you fight the good fight. Amen. So let me start off here. It says eugenics and the impact on societies. Since Darwin's theories rejected the notion of God as creator, designer, and sustainer of the universe and of humankind, maltreatment of others came easy to Darwin's uh, Darwin followers. Little notice today, Darwin actually advocated encouraged abuse of other races and ethnicities. In The Descent of Man, published after The Origin of Species, Darwin openly commented on the more significant differences between men of distinct races. For example, Darwin held blacks and Australian Aborigines to be equal to gorillas and then inferred that these would be done away with by the civilized races in time. He continued in a quote, at some future period, not very distant, as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. At the same time, oh boy, here's that word, anthropomorphous apes will no doubt be exterminated. The break between man in a more civilized state, as we may hope, even than the Caucasian and some ape as low as baboon instead of as now between the Negro or Australian and the gorilla. I'll stop here. Kevin, that is a mouthful to say and powerful. It, it, it in some instances revolts me, the boldness of which when this was written in these direct quotes by him and the fact that uh, he is so accepted throughout the uh, medical world today, given the obvious fact that this man is a uh, confirmed uh, uh, racist and a bigot. Um, your comments, sir? 
Yeah, uh, first of all, my first comment is, man, your radio, uh, your voice is ideal for radio. Smooth, golden voice, brother. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Thanks, man. And you got it, brother. Hey, but um, on this Darwin thing, you know, what's it is, it's revolting. It is unbelievable that we've given this man uh, the kind of, of status and stature that he has around the world to this day, by the way. But what we see in this, just these brief comments that, you, that you've read, is that not only does he uh, equate Blacks with apes, gorillas, and savages, but he, he, he then infers that they need to be exterminated. He says, look, we're going to exterminate this, you know, these, these savage races will all be dealt with. They're going to be exterminated by us more civilized folk. It's unbelievable that that nobody called him out on it. Nobody, you know, revisited what he said. It, it, it's really it's really astonishing. And um, to think that this is the man that our entire uh, science curriculum is really built around uh, Darwin and, and, and Darwinian uh, theories. And uh, and that's, again, that's K through 16. I mean, that's going into the college level as well. So it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It certainly is. Um, I would add to what you stated that, and I'm just thinking back to, um, as I've mentioned prior, I'm a 70s child, so my formative years with schooling um, have, um, I see Mr. Wayne has joined us. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Um, we were taught about Darwin, but in the broadest sense, and this would have been in the uh, early to mid 70s, and no mention was made as to his um, bigoted and racist history, um, just was talked about this origin of the species, and here's a theory that says, at least they were saying theory then, that um, that we could have all evolved from apes and so on and so forth. So it was something to consider for us as students. And, um, but it was, um, creationism was still taught in the schools when I attended school. So it was something we looked at and those of us, even as young people with common sense, we kind of laughed that off, <laughs> basically stating, well, if, if we evolved from monkeys and apes and so forth, why are there still monkeys and apes on the scene? Why some evolved and some didn't? But that's a topic for another conversation. Let me read on in uh, this quote from um, influential in the highest levels of academia, Darwin unleashed the idea that people who are successful and powerful are thus so because they are innately better. Galton promoted and enshrined the idea within eugenics, graduating from theory to a socio-cultural movement, eugenics further inculcated and institutionalized racism and white supremacy. As byproducts of Galton's eugenics, new nomenclature and parlance arose to solidify social Darwinism as a legitimate new cultural movement. Let me comment, Kevin, that you mentioned nomenclature, and that's a word that really uh, uh, beams whenever I see it because it is so effective as a tool today. You've talked about this in previous aspects of this book and in later parts of the book as we'll get to them, um, the importance of nomenclature and how nomenclatures can be commandeered and um, used for other than what they were originally intended. Um, as in the case, um, how we effectively use nomenclature with every black life matters. Uh, your comments on that? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, nomenclature, um, it, when it comes to Darwin, he was really, really effective, as, just as effective as really leftist progressives are today with, with generating narratives and adopting an entire nomenclature to go around the narrative. Uh, wokeism, uh, for instance, is a, a uh, li linguistic distinction that then now has its whole nomenclature around it. If you're woke, uh, you know, you're part of this protected class. If you're, uh, if you're not woke or you're a dissenter from woke, uh, you know, ideology, then you're, uh, you're automatically, because this is the way it is, 
you're automatically canceled or or uh, you have to be censored or you automatically deemed a supremacist or racist. Uh, it, it, and so that's adopted within it, its own. That's a perfect example of what happens. You you developed you develop new language, if you will, and then you uh, you also develop with that very clever nomenclature that really helps to further buttress or inculcate the uh, the, the distinction. And so we see that with wokeism. We see that with uh, with what Darwin did in the back in the day when he had developed this notion of evolution as opposed to creation. And then, uh, you know, with that, he was able to then characterize uh, subhumans, uh, people that are still, evolu you know, on the evolutionary scale, and, and uh, all of these other things that kind of came with um, his new distinction of, of man evolving and not being created. Hence, evolution. Uh, we've evolved and uh, <laughs> not created, and so God's taken completely out of uh, out of the equation of how we all got here in, in this wonderful rock we live on called the Earth, and how it's structured and, and built and made. And if you have the eyes to see, and I, I use the term uh, common sense, common sense eyes, it's obvious everywhere that um, there there is a, a creator at work that was at work and is at work even today the fact that uh, um, us living on this rock that's in the universe and all these other rocks and plants that are around and none of them crash into each other uh, it means somebody understood something at some level to create such a thing that uh, uh, allows us to move forward and then the audacity of someone like uh, darwin to uh, purport something um, completely different from that and the fact that it it, it He's because, as you stated prior, that he had some level of success. It was not a stupid man, um, and and in some of the science that he did, that he's accepted in these things, and then people, in a wholesale fashion, um, begin to move toward this. And here we are today, um, you know, fighting for our, our our very our very beliefs and stance in terms of how the world's created and what's in the world, even our, our great nation, uh, America. And what it uh, it represents, and, and how it's stated within the founding documents that uh, um, that we know that there's a creator above. Uh, let me read on some more. Lonnie, um, yes, I want to step in just for a moment. Sure, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so, I think it's important for us small vocabulary people <laughs> to <laughs> to discuss nomenclature. All right, because there's an assumption that people understand it and i didn't understand it until i looked it up so i'll be the first to to say that so let me just read uh, a definition nomenclature is a system for giving names to things within a particular profession or field for instance as we see with darwin and all of the classification that he did <clears throat> within science right he's given to biology uh the nomenclature such as like humans are called homo sapiens but nomenclature in the idea of giving names to things could be like we call ourselves the church the body of christ that's a nomenclature Right? We are giving words to define uh, a group of things or a profession. An example they have here is that customers was preferred to the original nomenclature of passengers, right? So at an airport or a transportation company, they do have passengers, but they've decided to call them customers because with customers, you have a different perception of how you treat them, right? How you engage with them, what your responsibilities are to them. And so when you're talking about, and when Kevin is talking about the nomenclature that Darwin set up, he really did as far as biology, right? And species, he, he gave us those, those nomenclatures of how we, we break things down, <clears throat> but we also see that as humanity has moved along, 
we have created our own uh, words of or nomenclatures, uh, some of them positive and some of them, you know, not very good. But I just wanted to step in there and assist with just making sure that people understood what nomenclatures are. Thank you, Regina. Great point in, in, in laying that out so that um, it's more broadly understood. That helps helps me as well. I remember uh, back during my tech career um, working in and of Silicon Valley companies that one of the big tech companies I worked for, uh, when we went to, uh, we were hired by them, we're going through training, literally gave us a book, not a pamphlet, a book of nomenclature that the company used internally. So they spoke in another language for those who were just entering into um, working in the company, communicating with those within the company. You had to know, know the nomenclature, or sometimes you were lost as it related to technical aspects or just general conversation about a project or uh, or a, a product that they happen to have. So very, very important. And the fact that uh, you know today how it's used um, within social media. Is, is, is very interesting and well uh, as well. And so unless you're steeped in social media and, and the terms that are used within social media, you'll sometimes have trouble. Okay, let me read on. Um, simply stated, social Darwinism um, theorizes that all ethnicities and races are subject to Darwin's theories, including natural selection and the survival of the fittest metaphor. It provided the wealthy and powerful, those in the white supremacist elitist class, the mechanisms to justify personal delusions of grandeur while perpetuating maltreatment of all others outside of their class structure. Social Darwinists asserted human life is in a perpetual struggle for existence. They believe the best way to preserve a pure race and lineage while assuring dominion over the looming Malthusian. Scarcity of resources was to subjugate and eliminate all others. Kevin, I find that interesting. So there you see the roots of uh, uh, what we have today the, with finite oil and, and uh, we much manage our resources. We're going to lose all of them, like the, the water issues in that are in certain parts of the United States and um, being a, a California base and being somewhat familiar with the history of water in this state. The state has always had issues with water, but they're, because parts of the state are very arid, but it's really the management of the water resources that causes the problems for anyone that's been around long enough to understand it. But they use that, uh, they, they use those terms and nomenclature to drive an agenda that, that keeps us in perpetual state of, um, I remember having family members in uh, Northern California and uh, well, I'll just go ahead and state my parents' home and my dad, his pride and joy is his front lawn and his back lawn and having to let that all die because they had a quote unquote water shortage when those of us who were in the know knew that, well, they didn't manage the water that they had because there's a history of of, 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 of drought and then surplus with water in the state and they didn't do that and that's why his prize lawn had to go to seed. Um, it, it, I'm just amazed how the things that we're dealing with today had its roots in and hence the title of your book um, in this belief system and worldview that in my opinion is anti-God and I think you illustrate that quite um, eloquently and then here we are today. Any comments from you, sir? No, no, uh, that's really what I was driving at. That's what was really illuminating to me too. Some people may think that I wrote this book to make a point. And like I've said many, many times publicly and privately, like I, don't, I have no idea what I'm gonna write or where it's gonna end up. It's all divinely inspired. And uh, so, when I started to get into the research, when the writing started to take this turn, I thought, this is unbelievable. <laughs> I never, never imagined, never fathomed that we actually had an individual who could 
make such audacious assertions and then create, uh, you, you know, an entire, you know, parlance or nomenclature around it to where it actually sticks and people says, yeah, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, we are supreme. We must protect ourselves because we have a scarcity of resources around the planet. And that means we have the ability to go ahead and exterminate these other ethnicities. They're clearly not as evolved as we are. And uh, and so therefore, you know, that's the perfect reason or excuse for us to go ahead and do this. And uh, it, it's just so preposterous, you know, because it didn't exist prior to that. People saw humans as humans. They just kind of, you know, they may have had, you know, personal ought against somebody else or distrust because you're from a different tribe or ethnicity or whatever. But it wasn't like, well, you know, you're not human, yeah, quite evolved. You're not quite an evolved human yet, so we could summarily, uh, you know, treat you bad and exterminate you. And so that's that's really what this is driving to, and it was it's just a wild, you know, thing to recognize. So very true, brother. It's it's. I'm, I'm jotting some notes here. It's um, once you've been subjugated to be less than, then it's okay what's being done to you or what you're denied. And, and so you don't need enough water, you don't need enough food because the upper class, if you will, um, is germane to carrying on the best aspects of us as humans uh, on, on earth. It's appalling uh, when you think about it, but um, it, it's relegated to kind of a thought process. When you think about this whole, and you know, we are, those of you listening in are, are very big on the issue of, of life for uh, preborn babies and that uh, babies can be put in that category as well because it's an inconvenient time um, and place that um, this baby came to be inside its mommy's, uh, the, the mommy's tummy that uh, because it's inconvenient um, that the um, baby can be uh, done away with. It, it, it all speaks to this, but it all it goes back to who I uh, affectionately call the granddaddy of modern uh, racism and bigotry, um, Charles Darwin. Uh, let me read on here because we we want to make sure we get through as much but, as we can. One, but one I last also thing. Want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One last thing, Lonnie. I just wanted to get if if uh, Neil or Regina had anything. I'd love to hear what they have to say at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I can. I just wanted to note that the minute you take. Um, God out of the equation. These are the natural results of that conclusion. I mean, mm. these are the natural conclusions of that uh, assumption. Because if there is no God, then it's all random. Uh, if there is a God and He designed the universe and He cares about people, I mean, it's again, uh, what kind of God is there? If He loves His children, He's not going to create a universe that will result in shortages and mass starvation and things like that. And the and the evidence proves itself. I mean, if you just look at the the universe, I mean, if you look at the earth itself, uh, yeah, it turns out that you could take all 7 billion of us and put us in uh, Texas at the density of downtown San Jose, and we'd all be able to live happily ever after just in Texas, right? Uh, and if you look at the food shortages, there are no food shortages. There's a distribution issue because evil people are wanting to control other people. There's no, actually, there is no food shortages. Uh, in the old days, farmers could feed maybe six people. Now farmers can feed 300 to 3,000 people. And if you add hydroponics, you can grow enough to feed a whole city in the area of a city block. You know, so all these things God has designed into the system. He's not, he's not created. But if you start with, there is no God, Darwin. Uh, there is, uh, we're just evolved animals, the social evolution, Darwinian evolution, physical evolution, uh, the fight of the species, then these all follow naturally. And this is exactly where Darwinism leads us to. Regina? Yes. So <clears throat> um, something else that I think when we look at um, the scarcity of resources, we can see that in an example of our public schools, right? And so how is it possible that in the same state, forget the country, let's just say the same state, 
You can have schools where the students don't have books, where, um, you know, the teacher ratio is like one teacher to 40 kids, where the building is leaking and they've got mold and they have um, broken equipment and, and all these type of things, but you can go 10 miles over and everything is okay in that suburb. Everything is okay in that school district. And it's still a public school district. It's still all run by the same state. I'm not even talking about federal interjection here. Let's just stick with state. So how is it that there's a scarcity of resources for the things that need to be accomplished within education? And it is because there is a, a control that, well, we've only given this much and you know we pay our higher taxes in this neighborhood so our money in this neighborhood should stay in this neighborhood but you live in the whole state your government is the whole state right it's the state department of education you know there are boards right that manage the locality but it's still the state department of education it's still your children, like the educational laws don't change from school district to school district. They don't change by boundary of territory. You know, so if you're in Houston and you go to Dallas, you have completely different rules for public education. No, everything is the same. But yet we have, there's this mentality of scarcity of resources, which you're seeing play out in uh, not the even distribution. And for people who who uh, who come at this whole thing about, you know, everything should be equal, we want equality for everybody, then why don't you apply your state laws fairly? You know, why don't you apply everything across the board, like everywhere? And if one district the territory, they have more tax on their property, the same tax, but their property is worth more. So you get a whole bunch more, but yet you can't, you don't just live in that suburb. You drive, you go somewhere. People who take care of your garbage, people who take care of the city light, you know, they live in other parts of the state. You know, it'd be one thing if you were completely isolated, walled community, right? You make your own electricity, your own water, you make your own food, you make your own roads, you make your own everything. So therefore, okay, I'm like, okay, I get it. You want to make your money, you want to keep your money in your walled city? Gotcha. But if you're going to live in this state, whatever state it is, then you need to make sure that you are not applying the scarcity of resources only when you feel like it. So that's uh, my comment. And Mr. Wayne, thank you for coming up. I don't know if you have a comment you want to share with us. Okay, Regina, great point. Um, I have. Now, let me jump in there because uh, I've, I've done a bit of study on that topic. Mm -hmm. So the uh, what's interesting about the school districts is uh, in California, every school district get somewhere between $12,000 to $14,000 per student. The less, the lower income school districts get about $2,000 less and the higher um, end school districts. So first of all, we ask ourselves, why, why can't you get a good education for $14,000 per student? And that's of course, because it's government run. Government doesn't care about results. <clears throat> They don't care about anything. In fact, uh, Tom McClintock did an analysis on schools and he found out that he said, we'll take $7,000 from every student and we'll pay it to all the uh, admin people, um, the principals, the superintendents, all that, on the one condition is they never set foot back in the school again. <laughs> they stay home <laughs> and never show up. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, and then he took the other $7,000 and he split it up. He says, first of all, we'll give them all a, uh, a, um, uh, uh, a health club membership for 50 ball, uh, I think it was $150 a month. 
Healthcare membership. And he goes through this whole thing. It was, no, it was $50 a month healthcare membership. And he goes and he, he says, we'll hire, uh, rather than the school buildings, we'll sell them all and, and give the money away to charity. We'll take, uh, we'll hire. And at that time, it was like $2 a square foot. And he was going to rent out space and all that. He does, he goes through this whole thing. And the end of all that, he has like about, he has, we have $2,000 left per student. Uh, oh, and we'll give prof- uh, teachers a 70K uh, salary instead of 35k, whatever they're making at the time. And he ends up with something like uh, $2,000 per student. He says, I think for that, they should go to France for uh, summer. Um, but the whole, the point of this whole thing, and again, I'm just summarizing and I don't, may not have got the numbers exactly, but the whole point of it was, it was really due to waste. It was all waste. It was waste, 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 waste. And there was no good reason to uh, have that. I mean, and even if you think about it, the disparity between a rich school district and a poor school district where the kids can't read at all and a rich district where they have all these extra things uh, is only about $1,500 to $2,000 different per student, which shouldn't make that much difference when you're talking about a $14,000. We're talking about a 15% difference, right? A 15% difference should not make the difference between make it or break it. So the reality is it's government uh, involvement that is destroying this. And that's why, uh, you know, we all think that the best thing is to take that money as a school voucher and go to a private school. And whenever school vouchers have been used, black kids have have excelled uh, amazingly well. So I think that's part of it. But you hit on the thing is, why is there such a disparity? You know, it makes no sense. And it's, it's just a waste of money, really, at the end of the day. Great point, Neil. Um... I have some experience with school systems uh, myself and uh, having worked in, in a consulting capacity and uh, uh, the money that is available in school systems, regardless of the districts where they happen to be located, uh, management's a, a core issue and um, learned of which in one district um, in Central California, um, and I won't name the school uh, district, but uh, the superintendent uh, had to deal with uh, uh, a school teacher that, uh, well, let's just say that he probably shouldn't be teaching school, but they could not get rid of the teacher because of the teacher's uh, ability to be uh, uh, tenured. Yeah, and, and that was the union. Yeah, the union basically. Yeah, and the union, and, and um, where this individual only worked a couple days a week, and only three hours. To, three to four hours on those two days a week that he did work and fully supported by the union and um, medical doctor who would write the uh, justification for him. Couldn't pick up anything heavier than two books. And um, I said, how do you manage, effectively manage a staff, you know, in a district? And, and it's, it's just, um, it, was, it was pretty frustrating to see because I was a taxpayer and I was watching this take um, place. Another incident, the major construction project and a contractor wanted to um, secure a contract and um, was advised uh, uh, by myself and uh, another member of the consulting team I was a part of not to use that contractor because he had uh, dubious methods of doing construction and, you know, cost the district uh, more money than he was worth dealing with him. And so uh, they went with other contractors with this particular contractor uh, construction firm sued the school district and rather than fight this individual in court the school district decided to settle with the individual and and uh, and pay him to go away at the advice of the attorneys that were um, you know worked for the district and I told the superintendent I said you know what this contractor is doing through the community he's telling everyone that the Three hundred, two to three hundred thousand dollar expansion on his really nice home it was due to the money he got from your school district, and the response from the superintendent to me was just, just, just how things are done, and so, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's not, it's not their money, right? Yeah, it, yes, <laughs> exactly. It's not their money; it's our money, and so that's how things are done. Is what he told me. And because um, he didn't take a cut in salary and, and neither did any other administrators take the cut in salary. So 
hence your comment about the uh, 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 vouchers for students, where the, the money follows the student and parents get a chance to pick and choose and have power and authority over who, uh, who, who schools their kids. But anyway, we segued off. I've gone off topic. <laughs> let, me, let me read on. Um, Kevin Stellar work here. Let me read this portion. It says, should be obvious such thinking was and is wholly immoral. Certainly, the Judeo-Christian worldview rejects any su uh, such ideas. Uh, let me read that again. Certainly, the Judeo-Christian worldview rejects any such ideas. This nation that we live in was built upon a Judeo-Christian ethic all the way back to its founding, the founding documents, documents which were written. And then there's just been this wholesale effort to um, uh, to destroy the, the, the truth of that and the history of that about the founding of our nation. And we end up with the fine kettle of fish that we have. Um, we read on such notorious inclinations undermine all humanity. The worst atrocities in human history can be attributed to social Darwinism. It has been used to justify white supremacy, slavery, racism, genocide, imperialism, and eugenics. Amen, Kevin. Amen. Your comments, sir, on that? Well, I think that that says it all. I mean, you know, Ooh. it's uh, the social Darwinism, uh, even though we have a lot of people that are uh, advocates or adherents of Darwinism, uh, you know, in and out and through and through, we have a huge scientific community that that still swear by a lot of Darwin's works. Uh, the reality is, is that most of the evils in our history uh, are a direct result of, of Darwin and social Darwinism, as it was, you know, as, as basically Darwin's theories were uh, overlaid onto societies. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, all of that, uh, again, uh, white supremacy, racism, uh, eugenics, uh, you know, mass genocide, uh, you know, sexism, misogyny, atheism. I mean, all of that really, really took off as a result of Darwin making distinctions about those things. And, uh, you know, and here we are. So true, brother. I just was thinking of uh, anti-Semitism as well, as you uh, have outlined in, and um, in, actually in the next statement here, Adolf Hitler and the National Socialist German Workers Party, the Nazis, provide a powerful and poignant example of what happens when Darwin's theories are embraced and carried out. The Nazis adopted Darwin's playbook and racial classifications as they embrace Darwin's concept of the most favored race in the lineage of Aryan supremacy, they unsurprising, unsurprisingly viewed themselves as Aryans and thus racially superior. This meant they categorically deemed all others as inferior and therefore disposable. Aryan superiority was the overarching justification for the Nazi genocide, genocide program. While Nazis considered the Aryan race to be the superior master race while they relegated Slavs, Gypsies, and Jews as racially inferior subhumans, this meant these other ethnicities would be used for slave labor, lab experiments, and extermination. And what, how many millions of Jews, I think I've heard the numbers are what estimated between what six and eight million and, and then several hundred thousand other ethnicities, um, including folks with a darker paint job, were done away with as well. Wow. Any comments from you, Neil or, or Regina or Kevin or any of you listening out there? Not much from me. I think it's pretty obvious that, uh, I mean, but as Kevin mentions, there was discrimination before, but this gave Hitler and all these guys a scientific, official, authorized, if you will, uh, way of doing this and justifying it with science. With science. Even though the science was wrong and still is wrong. 
So very true. I'm looking, I see uh, Mr. Wayne, do you have a comment you'd like to bring forth? Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, what I find is interesting, I've been kind of challenging Blacks, particularly when they bring up the, the woke idea. And I challenge them not to practice white supremacy. And they're like, mm -hmm. how, how so? How am I practicing white supremacy? I say, you're practicing white supremacy when you begin to judge people by the color of their skin. I said, that's a white supremacist concept. The idea of looking at everything and every situation based on skin color started with white supremacy. Um, give me some pushback. Maybe that's not a good argument or something. So let me hear what you, you all will say to that. That's exactly what happened uh, there, uh, Mr. Wayne. See, here's, here's what happened. Um, there was race classifications done earlier that we talked about in prior weeks with uh, Friedrich uh, Johann Blumenbach. And, uh, but they were racial classifications based on geography. It wasn't until, um, you know, uh, Darwin that had his uh, white supremacist first cousin, Malthus, uh, Thomas Malthus, and then his younger cousin, uh, James Galton, that those influences influence his perspective as it relates to, you know, being able to categorize people based on skin color um, and, and then categorize them as subhuman uh, just so that they could, you know, maintain white supremacy. They didn't want these other ethnicities to ultimately infringe upon their intellectual uh, genes and, and their all the other capacities they thought they had over other ethnicities. They knew over time, if they allowed these other ethnicities to continue to just populate and overpopulate compared to pure white uh, Aryan Caucasian um, uh, you know, groups, that then they would have a problem. And so that's exactly why uh, you know, these, these statements based upon, um, you know, actually do indicate, just as you said, uh, white supremacy. Got it. Anyone else with uh, a comment? I would say um, I've had these conversations, uh, Mr. Wayne as well, and uh, gotten considerable pushback and how can you call me a white supremacist uh lonnie i'm black i said well you call me a white supremacist <laughs> with black skin um but using the, the justifications that um we just mentioned um and, and connecting the history um just those who support and in favor of uh uh uh, of abortion, you know, because they're not knowing the history of uh, abortion and what it was original intent was and what it's been very effective at um, to I, I've heard comments that um, from folks with a darker paint job that uh, we're superior athletes because we're, we're built better. Um, our genetic structures are such I said, whoa, you're getting into the same thing that Hitler and Darwin and these other individuals um, used to justify their inhumanity against their fellow man. And I would get pushback. No, it's true. I said, you don't understand by you making those very statements. I said, then I would use an example. I says basketball, which is propagated by a majority of uh, African-American um, athletes. And yet you had individuals like uh, Larry Bird and, um, and Pistol Pete and many others who excelled in um, sports. Uh, so for so you to use a say that the genetic structure makes you superior. Uh, I attended a high school in Southern California that was a basketball factory. In fact, many of the uh, students that went there uh, during my era and since then have gone on and played in the NBA. Well, the reason why they became successful in the NBA was not necessarily, it wasn't because of their genetic structure, it was because of their work ethic. I said, when I came to school in the morning, if I got to school at 7 a.m., they were in the gym. If it was lunchtime, they were in the gym. 
it was the evening and we were leaving the campus to go home, those young boys were in the gym and that is why they became successful. And whatever attributes they had because of how they were built uh, maybe added to, but it was not the reason why they became successful. So it's interesting how this thought process seems to permeate, you know, uh, <laughs> with the very folks who say they've been, they are victimized and have been victim. Uh, let me, uh, if uh, no one else has any comments, let me read on it and uh, further, because I'm looking at the time here. Uh, the known facts and truth about Hitler's connection and embrace of Darwinism are undeniable and also quite inconvenient, not only interconnected with Darwin's unleashing of racism and white supremacy, Darwinist uh, enthusiasts are also caught in another conundrum. Undoubtedly, some Darwin apologists attempt to distance Hitler, his genocidal ambitions to exterminate Jews and the many other Nazi atrocities as somehow separate from Darwinism, the fruit of Nazi ambitions was to divide humanity into race classifications. Great point, great point, Kevin. Comments from you? Uh, no, nothing there. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, let me let me read uh, read on. What is the pro-Darwin argument strategy? Richard Weichart, senior fellow, Center for Science and Culture has extensively studied and written a number of books exposing Darwin, Hitler, and Nazism. Uh, Weichart, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, addresses how some Darwin followers attempt to explain away Nazi connections to Darwinism by asserting Hitler and Nazis just use Darwinism as a propaganda tool, refuting that claim Weichart writes in his article, Darwinism in Nazi Propaganda. It is undeniable then that the Nazis employed Darwinism widely in their propaganda efforts, but one might object that the Nazi use of Darwinism was purely a rhetorical strategy. That is, Hitler and other Nazis shrewdly co-opted a dominant scientific paradigm in the service of their insidious political goals. And if there had been another dominant scientific view of origins, they would have claimed that for their cause. There are multiple problems with this objection. Kevin, were there other things taking place or schools of thought during that time in history that would either add to or detract from their particular uh, agenda? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, yeah. There were no other uh, competing philosophies at the time, per se, that, that would have uh, been motivation for the Nazis. So I, you know, uh, so I, and I think this is where Weichardt is getting in this article. Mm -hmm. Great point. First, it seems to rest on false assumptions that the Nazi regime was primarily opportunistic. Most historians today recognize that Hitler and most leading Nazis were not primarily opportunists, but rather fanatical ideologues. Sure, Hitler and his comrades were willing to lie to the public if it brought, brought political advantage. However, those lies were always to try to advance their heartfelt ideology, not just to attain power for power's sake. Second, we have considerable considerable evidence that Hitler and leading Nazis did not use Darwinism to, uh, for public consumption, but promoted it in private conversations. It was not just a superficial add-on gain, support for unrelated ideas and policies. Third, and probably, probably most importantly, this objection fails to recognize that leading Darwinian bi biologists and anthropologists were promoting scientific racism in the pre-Nazi period. The Nazis were influenced by this scientific, woke up, excuse me, scientific racism. Darwinism uh, was an essential part of Nazi racial ideology from the start. 
it is not like Nazis had their racist ideology in place and then added Darwinism to the mix to gain more public support. Racism and Darwinism were closely aligned long before the Nazis developed their ideology. And hence my, uh, my statement prior that uh, Darwin is the granddaddy of uh, modern racism. Uh, any comments from you, Kevin, or other members of the team? Are you are you listening out there? Any comments, Mr. Wayne? Uh, okay, uh, I'll I'll read on. Weichert then draws the following conclusion: Not only science journals, but also the most important Nazi periodicals, along with pamphlets written to teach the Nazi worldview, all taught the importance of evolutionary uh, biology and Nazi ideology. The authors considered human evolution especially important because they believed it supported their vision of racial inequality and racial struggle, fundamental parts of the Nazi worldview. No Nazi journal or official Nazi publication, at least of which I am aware, published articles or essays denying human evolution. However, some did publish essays bashing creationism, ah, and anti-evolutionary ideas. Though there was some debate about the exact way that evolution occurred, the version of evolution theory most Nazis preferred was the Darwinian theory of natural selection through the struggle for existence. Interesting. Very interesting. And that this goes, is my understanding of scripture completely against um, a Christian worldview of how you deal with your fellow man? How do you deal with those that are less those in terms of maybe strength or certainly money? Um, status in a community, um, what makes Christianity in my worldview so powerful is the fact that um, we look to go into a community or within to a family or situation and look to make things better by providing Christian love, which encompasses all of uh, the aforementioned things relative to um, helping your fellow man. You know, we feed the hungry, we, we, we clothe the naked, we take care of the widows and orphans. And this thought process goes completely against, um, Darwinism goes completely against the, in my view, the foundation of Christianity. Comments from you, Kevin, or the rest of the team? I have no comments. Okay. Miss Regina? Um, I don't because it's really kind of clear. Right. I think there's the the shock of just how much uh, the Nazis followed Darwin. I mean, you. I don't know that I ever stopped to think about what motivated him for his atrocities other than to think, well, he was just a bad person. Um, but understanding that he read and followed a theory that was out there. It's like it gave him an instruction manual on how to commit the evil that was already in his heart, you know, because that instruction manual is out there for everyone, but not everyone goes off and starts eliminating, you know, other races. Mm -hmm. So there was already evil there that he intended to follow. And he just needed to find the right source that would give him justification in his mind and, and other people's. So um, it is, I think what, what our audience will find as we continue this conversation <clears throat> next week and maybe even we might need another two weeks is when you start looking at all the other people who killed hundreds of thousands of people who quote Darwin as their mentor. I think that's when like the real shock of it all will kick in because, you know, we talk about how Darwin has affected, <clears throat> you know, how 
scientists think and what people are thinking now and we're eventually going to get to marxism we are getting there we're just taking a nice slow long walk but we're getting there but i think that um you know one of the what we really have to begin to understand is that and we will probably next week is how many other mass murderers like on a large scale actually looked at and was influenced by Darwin's work because then we start to see the amount of lives that have been taken and then when we compile that to where we get to when we start you know in about two weeks start talking about eugenics and the supreme court you know and planned parenthood and then we we start to see how this is not unique Right, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. It's not new. This is not new. It's just the same evil taking, you know, a different turn and taking advantage and opportunity of the vessels that will yield itself to it. Right? Because evil has always been there. We see that in the Garden of Eden. We see that in the days of Noah. Um, we see man thinking for himself and what he can accomplish when we look at the Tower of Babel. So uh, evil has been there. Uh, It's just looking for those people to take opportunity. And then as our world and technology have advanced, it also has to, you know, being able to play out its desires in the earth. So those would be my thoughts. Well, thank you, Regina. Um, great points you raised. I was jotting some notes here, and as you mentioned, uh, um, other uh, despots and dictator and dictators re- re- and how they uh, were um, influenced by uh, Charles Darwin and and, and uh, his contemporaries um, in justifying the the evil they put forth in the uh, um, on the world scene. So I'm looking at the time, or we come up at the top of the hour, and we've uh, co- committed ourselves to try to, to stay timely to an hour uh, broadcast. So I want to thank everyone for uh, listening in today, and those that you that have made comments. And uh, I see Epiphany, Lesney, and uh, who else do I see here? As I'm looking at the screen here, uh, Major Daughter as well uh, for listening in today. We'll tune in next week, same time. Um, and um, and cover more topics for, uh, concerning Kevin's book. I'm going to strongly encourage you that if you don't have a copy of the book, to please um, go, and go and get yourself uh, a copy. You can uh, and also visit our website as well. We can learn more information. This is the end of our discussion today. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to hear your voice, so please consider joining us live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week, have a great day.